This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. This time on the Out of Water podcast, we're bringing you part of a message from Pastor Sam Kastensmith in his series, The Miracle Behind the Miracles. In this episode, Sam discusses three of Jesus's earliest miracles, each of which was performed in the villages around the Sea of Galilee. Why was the region of Galilee so precious to Jesus? What can we learn about our Savior in knowing that his first miracles were performed for the sake of a leper, a Roman officer, and a widow? The answer might surprise you. Let's go to the Ingram Center Theater at Rio Vista Community Church and Pastor Sam Kastensmith. One of the first areas of Israel that falls into pagan worship is the northern tribes of Israel. And in the northern tribes of Israel, you have Dan, which is in the Sea of Galilee to the, to the east a little bit. And then you also have Zebulun and Naphtali. Those were the three tribes of Israel that eventually dwell in the north. And here's the deal. They were the first to adopt pagan practices. They, they abandoned the Lord. They started worshiping false gods. They ran away. And so here's the deal. The tribes of Naphtali, Zebulun, and Dan were the first of Israel's 12 tribes to fall to the Assyrians. So in 700s, when Assyria comes through, they're the first ones to go. When Hezekiah, remember he's the good king, the one who calls and the angel of the Lord comes out and defeats 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, that king who has a heart for the gospel... He sends invitations to these tribes that have now fallen so far out of favor with the Lord, but Hezekiah is like, I want to draw them back. Even though they've turned their back on the Lord, he sends invitations to them to come back and celebrate the Passover in Judah, but the messengers are scorned and ridiculed and the couriers are sent back. We don't want anything to do with the Lord. Their rejection of the Lord was so extreme that Isaiah, who's living at this time, go ahead and calls the entire region of Galilee Galilee of the Gentiles. They're not even us anymore. They're gone. But this is what Isaiah says, which is cool. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea, along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And I want you to stop for a moment and think what this means. The first ones to turn from God, the first ones to say, we're out, we're going to worship someone else, we're going to go our own way, those are the first ones that Jesus goes after. What does that mean to you? What are your thoughts on that? With this story, you have Jesus who comes, and he's going to spend the vast majority of his ministry is going to be on the shores of Galilee and on the Sea of Galilee. The ones who are the farthest. You know, the, the respectable religious people lived in Judea. He's all about Galilee the ones who were looked down upon, the ones who had the worst poverty, who had the, the most messy story. That's who he goes to. 
And so if you're looking at a map, that's Galilee, and the lake that's up there, the sea, that's Galilee. Then you come down, the Jordan River leads you down, but then you have Samaria, and Samaria were considered half-breeds. They were like dogs. Like Even the people from Galilee, when they came down to Judea for the feast, went on the other side of the Jordan and walked on the other side of the Jordan until they got to the place where you'd cross over to get into Judea because you didn't have anything to do with people from Samaria. They were just outcasts. Jesus will, but they didn't. And so then when you finally get down, Judea is where Jerusalem is, and that's where the respectable cities are. And so when you open the Gospel of Matthew, the first miracles, after Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount, you start in Matthew chapter 8, and we're given a number of miracles. And I want you to catch what the Gospels are teaching us, okay? The first one is going to be Jesus healing a leper. Now, all these happen right around the Sea of Galilee. Now, do you know a leper's fate in the ancient world? You didn't have community. You couldn't be touched. You had to live outside the city. You had to wear your hair a certain way. You had to wear particular clothing. And if somebody came close to you by law, it was your obligation to yell as loud as you could, unclean, 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 unclean. You were totally isolated. Everything about you is just wasting away. Skin conditions, you looked a mess, bandages all over. And anytime anybody came near you, you're yelling, unclean, unclean. Can you relate to that? Do you, ever, do you ever feel that way? Like if anybody truly knew me, if anybody truly knew what was underneath all the bandages and everything else that I present, man, I'm a mess. And I'm isolated. I don't feel like I have genuine community. And I put up safeguards so that no one can ever really know me. You know, some of the conversations that I've had as a pastor, you talk to any pastor, you know this. There are certain people who are so afraid of vulnerability, so afraid to be known that they make themselves unlovable. They live lifestyles. They, they post things that make themselves seem so out of reach so that they can claim the rejection wasn't yours to give me. I made myself unlovable. Those are some of the most important pastoral shepherding opportunities you have is to say to somebody who feels utterly unlovable, and to say, there's nothing you could do that would keep me away from loving you. And I love what Jesus does with this, this leper. Matthew 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, so he's just preached the Sermon on the Mount, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. This took incredible boldness, by the way to pierce him into the crowds and to make himself vulnerable. This is a religious teacher. What if Jesus had said, get away from me. You're not supposed to come near people. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. What? That's shocking. Jesus touched him, saying, I will, I do will this. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer the gift that Moses commanded to prove to them. Go run, run and get back into community. Show, yourself, show them that you don't have to be behind all these barriers anymore. 
But what's interesting is, what did they believe about leprosy? In the ancient world, if you touched someone who was leprous, you had to be quarantined. You had to be the one shut out until seven days go by and they can prove that you, the contagious hasn't spread to you and the priest inspect you. And this is what makes Jesus different. So usually when you have somebody who's contagious, who has something negative or, or bad about them, it, that's what spreads. But purity doesn't spread, you know? Jesus takes his utter righteousness, his utter purity, and the touch doesn't defile Jesus. It transforms the leper. You hear that? That's the only place where we can take our mess and all of our ways of being defiled and all the ways that we are spiritual lepers. The only way we can ever get clean is for him to touch us and for his purity and his righteousness and his power to flow into us. Here's the first miracle. Who does Jesus offer it up to? Someone who's of no social consequence whatsoever. An outcast, someone who's isolated. So then you get to the next one. Healing the centurion's servant. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Now that we know from other places, this centurion helped to fund and to build the synagogue in Capernaum. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. Wow. We have any Catholics in here? This is part of the Mass, right? Like if you grew up Catholic, you can recite the Mass. (laughs) It's still branded. But this is one of those things when they're going through communion and they hold it up. One of the things they recite still to this day in the Catholic Mass, Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and I shall be healed. That's for real faith. But listen to his logic. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So here's the deal. What is, what is the centurion saying? Well, he's, he's creating an analogy, right? And he's saying, I've got my servant at home who's sick, paralyzed, can't do anything. And Jesus is like, all right, I'm on my way. And he goes, no, 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 no. You don't need to. You know, I say to my servant, I say to a soldier, get up and go. And he goes like, like, what's the analogy? Okay, I say to the soldier, get up and go. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. So that's all you have to do. What is, what is he assuming is under the authority of Jesus? Everything. You can say from a distance to conditions, paralysis, fever, sickness, spiritual conditions. Lord, you have authority. All you have to do is speak a word. Now, where does he get that idea that the word of God can do whatever it wants? Well, you see it all over scripture. Our entire universe exists. Why? Because God spoke all of creation, all the commandments, Jesus himself, the word of God, 
There is power in the word to accomplish things that we don't give it credit for. And so when we pray, when we're on our knees and we're going, how's this going to work? Do we have the, fin- the faith of the centurion to say, Lord, you sh- you're in charge of it all. You can do absolutely whatever you want. Command it and it will be so. And I'm at peace. And here's the second thing that Jesus is doing. In the first one, he comes to the leper, the outcast, the one that no one comes to. And the second one, he comes to the centurion. Why is that scandalous? He's a Roman. No good Jew talks to foreigners, especially not Romans. They should have nothing to do with them. After all, it's the Romans who are occupying Israel. The Messiah is supposed to be the one who goes to war and overthrows them and throws them out and shows them hatred and justice and wrath. And here Jesus is throwing the religious leader's idea. You don't mess with unclean. He throws it on his head and overpowers it. And now he's coming to Gentiles, and not only Gentiles, army. And not only army, officers. And showing them love and compassion. Who won't this guy show love to? And then to look at his crowd. We don't understand how scandalous this would have been. To look at this centurion who says this to him. And then to turn around and say, And all of Israel, I've not found faith like this Roman. Ooh. And the next one. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west to recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. Holy cow, what did you just say there, Jesus? Religiosity is not going to bring you into the kingdom. All of you who hold yourselves mighty as though you're Israelites and so you can tell everyone else to go to hell. No. All of those who who hold that you've got the moral pathway and you can say to the leper, unclean, get away from me. No. There are those of you who think that you've got a seat at the table because of your religiosity. And I'm telling you, the sons of the kingdom are going to be thrown into the outer darkness and people from the farthest reaches of the east and west are going to come and recline. This is wild stuff. This should make all of us very, very, very nervous about our religiosity. This should make us want to go out and find the left out, the the abused, the hurting, the ones that you'd think never had a place in the kingdom of God. And so then he goes to heal Peter's mother-in-law, the widow. In the ancient world, if you were a widow, it's hard for us to put into context how horribly life was for women in the ancient world. If you didn't have a man for property rights for a number of reasons, you, were, you, were, you, were, you had no hope of a job. You had no hope of income. You had to have sons to take care of you because there was no respectable jobs that were open to women. And so if you were a widow and you didn't have anyone to care for you, you were in a rough shape. And so when Jesus in the New Testament comes along and it says there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither male nor female, slave nor free, he's tearing down all the barriers and he's saying everyone has equal dignity and is equally precious in my sight. There's there's this really wonderful time when the Sadducees who don't believe in resurrection come to Jesus and they say, okay, so there's this woman 
And she's married to this one guy, but he dies. And then she marries another guy, and he dies. And she marries another guy, and he dies. And she marries another guy, and he dies. And on down the line, and listen to the thought behind the question. He says, the Sadducees say, so who does she belong to in heaven? That's the thinking of the world, right? She has to belong to someone. And what does Jesus say? No, there is no marriage in heaven. Who's going to be your spouse? The Lord. And here's the deal. For those of you who actually like your spouses, and you're thinking, oh man, I want to be married in heaven. In glory, you're going to be so purified, so glorified that you will love to levels that you can't yet imagine. You will be closer with your spouse in heaven, in glory, than you can even imagine here. You're not going to be upset that you don't have the covenant of marriage. There's no unfaithfulness there. You're theirs every bit as much and more than you are here. But nobody belongs to anyone except to the Lord. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And here it is again. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she arose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so all these people, he heals the leper. He heals the centurion's servant. He heals the widow. Now he's got people who are coming to him demon-possessed, which God only knows what that looked like. I'm sure they weren't the desirables. Who is this guy? What is his nature? That's what the church should look like, right? There should be nobody that feels beyond the boundaries of our love. No one. I don't care what they're doing with their life. No one. Thanks, Sam. And thank you, friends, for listening to our podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a good rating. That will help others find the podcast also. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.